everybody, and welcome to Volume 3, Issue 112 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. You can, of course, play along with us. Uh, the Cane and Rinse Volume 3 games, the next five, include Super Mario World and Super Mario World 2, a Yoshi's Island, The Last Story, Castlevania Lords of Shadow, and a general retrospective of the, uh, the more tricky 3D Castlevania lineage, The Binding of Isaac, and then it's back to Mario for Super Mario 64. Uh, apologies to those of you who are looking forward to the Hitman Blood Money issue, but that has been postponed until some point later in the year, for reasons beyond our control. Uh, but we will still be covering Hitman at some point in 2014. For more information, head to canorince.com, where you can find the full schedule, the blog, links to our forum, merchandise stall, Facebook and newly Google Plus pages, Twitter and YouTube. And as always, please remember to subscribe to us, review us, and rate us on the iTunes. Thank you. So, joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, we have Darren Foreman. We have James Carter. Uh, James Carter Futari for this evening, I think. (laughs) And uh, Muchi Muchi Pork. Uh, Simon, (laughs) I've just just made that up. Uh, Simon Cole, a new contributor. (laughs) I'll be Giant Cow Mary for this evening, I think, then. Ah, Giant Cow Mary. (laughs) I'll be the bloody (laughs) jitterbug. Not the jitterbug from the start of uh, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. Or you can be if you want. (laughs) Well, I'm not planning on playing solo, but let's see how it goes. So, uh, normally we start with our history with the game that we're covering, but obviously this is an unusual one in that we're covering all the many games of a particular company. So, I'm going to start by taking you back to a a dim and dusty time in the mid-1980s. So, the roots of the company Cave actually go back to uh, Toa Plan. Now, some of our listeners, I'm sure, will be familiar with the works of Toa Plan, but I certainly discovered them in the mid-80s, and uh, I, I genuinely, some of my favourite arcade games of that period when I was in my teens and frequenting the arcades of Brighton were things like Tiger Heli and Slap Fight, um, and slightly later, uh, Flying Shark, obviously, um, or Sky Shark, or Hishuzame, um, and later down the line, things like Tatsujin, a.k.a. Truxton, and that obviously came to the Mega Drive. Um, Hellfire also came to the Mega Drive. Um, Toa Plan were also responsible, of course, for the legendary Zero Wing, more famous uh, for its translation. All your base are belong to us in the intro than uh, the game itself, although the game was a decent one. Um, and they also made uh, some non-shooters, Toa Plan. Uh, probably the best-known one is Snow Brothers, Nick and Tom, which was a, a rather cool... Um, it was a single screen platform in the mould of Bubble Bobble, but where you rolled up enemies into snowballs, and it was excellent. Um, and Toa Plan went on until the early to mid 90s, about 93, 94, um, and probably their last well known game was Batsugun. Uh, any of you played? Or uh, I don't actually know how you pronounce it, it Batsgun, probably. Anyone played Batsgun? I think it came to the Saturn, probably, and it's certainly playable on MAME. I've played a MAME version of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's very sort of proto bullet hell. Um, yes. It's, it's sort of bridges old school shmups and sort of the the sort of genre that Cave have defined. Absolutely, yeah, and that's kind of the whole um, 
it's kind of what we're talking about so back in in the early uh to mid 80s as i say when i was frequenting arcades as a teenager um 2d sprite based shooters both vertical and horizontal were like some of the biggest games around these were the games that you went to the arcade for um obviously space invaders in, by taito started things in the late 70s but um by the early to mid 80s obviously namco had progressed things with galaxian and galaga um and then capcom and konami got in on the act uh, with gradius and xdexes and and then there was star force and snk started doing their own and and all these huge arcade names were knocking out these games and actually I think Taito um, distributed some of Toa Plan's games like Flying Shark around the world so if you bought the home conversions of those games which were seldom anywhere near as good as the arcade machines they would have uh, Taito logos on the on the, on the the advert in the games press you know Spectrum Am- Amstrad Commodore and da 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 but the the weird thing about this genre is you know when, when I now boot up a cave game uh, on the 360 mo- mostly these days or sometimes emulation um, it is really apart from the fact that the scoring systems the mechanics and the amount of bullets have become more and more intense the games are fundamentally uh, just an obvious progression from these arcade games of the mid 90s uh, mid 80s uh, and, and beyond so what happened um, obviously you know the popularity of polygons came in the early uh, 90s the Virtua series and, and then Daytona and Ridge Racer and all that sort of thing um, the, sh- the shooters continued they they had an audience but they've kind of become more specialised more niche more aimed at the expert player eventually Toa Plan disbanded and split off into uh, a few different groups um, games again people listening to this may be familiar with so uh, Aiting and Raising were were one team they made Battle Garega, another famous shooter. Anyone played that one? No, but I'm aware <laughs> of the I'm aware of the guy who made its other work, but we'll come to that later. Okay. Um and uh they also did nineteen forty four the Loop Master, which is confusing because obviously it spins off from Capcom's nineteen forty X series, but it's it's by a different team and, and so on. Um speaking of Capcom, uh more Toa Plan developers went on to the Takumi Corporation where they made uh, a lot of uh famous bullet hell type shooters for Capcom that you may have played on the Dreamcast games like Geigerwing and Mars Matrix. Um also available to play on emulation. Uh there was another little team called Gazelle. They made a game called Air Gallet, which I have played, um, and a pretty Soldier Sailor Moon tie-in. Um, and they're obviously, we also we want to say that Cave aren't the only uh, makers of uh, 2D shooters in this modern world or, or, or this style of game or bullet hell games. There's also G-Rev, who also came out of Taito, I believe. Um, and they made, they've made some uh, classic shooters, including Border Down and, and uh, Under Defeat, which you can play an HD version of on PSN. Uh... But yes, the main man, uh, Toa Plan's main man, Kenichi Takano, uh, set up Cave in, was it 94, I believe, 1994. And since then, they've basically been churning out uh, these games. That, that sounds negative. I don't mean it negatively. They've been making uh, 2D shooters. They've also made a few other games that people may have heard of. I thought we'd mention these. We're not going to talk about them in depth. But they made uh, they made steep slope sliders on the Saturn, which was the sort of Saturn answer to uh, Cool Borders on the PS1. Um, they've, they made a Shin Megami Tensei MMO on the PC, which I know nothing about, uh, called Imagine. Um, I don't know if any of our... We, we have some big uh, 
well, big Persona fans, but I don't know if the Shin Megami Tensei crew are aware of. I assume it was Japan only. It, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a massive SMT fan. Um, okay. Yeah, and I've always been quite intrigued by this because the idea of an MMO set in the SMT world is quite fascinating. But again, it's one of those that just hasn't come west. What a weird project for Cave, the 2D sprite-based mm. shoot-em-up specialists who make though. Uh, uh, and, and a presumably polygon-driven MMO. I mean, such a leap of you know the the things that they 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 are known for and good at just sounds completely different. I assume. I assume it's not a bullet hell shooter MMO. <laughs> <laughs> You've actually got me thinking of a really interesting concept, which would be a standard JRPG that just jumps straight up a bullet yeah. hell uh, yeah. stage when you're actually like in uh, any kind of mm. combat scenario. Uh, uh, well, one of well, Cave's most recent title, uh, mobile game, is Don Patchin, which I don't think it's come out here yet on iOS, uh-huh. and that's a cute em up with RPG elements. So I'm wondering whether that has some uh, <laughs> uh, roots in the Shin Megami Tensei MMO. Fantastic. Um, and another game that, that dispiritingly few people bought on my friends list was Nintu Jump, which is uh, an odd and uh, predictably rock-hard um, platformer on the Xbox 360 that came out in the wake of the uh, tsunami a couple of years ago, and Cave donated the proceeds to uh, to the appeal, the, the the disaster relief appeal, um, and it was only it was only 400 Microsoft points or three pounds, but I was quite saddened by how few people seem to actually latch onto that. Here's a good game that's three quid, mm. and the money goes to charity. But uh, there you go. It's not the best game ever, but um, and no longer available over here. I don't think I searched it for it recently, and and it didn't come up. Yeah, I think it's been oh, taken surprised. down, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, it was it was an odd one. So the phrase that has already been bandied about uh, the evolution of the standard uh, 2D shooter, vertical or horizontal, sometimes a bit of both, sometimes a force-scrolling on-ground affair, Um, the the term is often used, bullet hell, also known as manic shooters or maniac shooters, or the Japanese term uh, danmaku or danmak, uh, possibly, bullet curtain. Um, So I think some people of our regular podcast uh, listeners who are tuning into this, who perhaps don't play these games maybe see those bullet curtains and are instantly put off do you think that's do you think that's possible yeah they, they just appeal to a very specific crowd i think so mm. i'm gonna have to make a dark souls reference it's this sort of insurmountable odds thing that mm. puts people off uh dark souls and it's it's not necessarily insurmountable it's just repetition and learning as it is in dark souls yeah, it's a lot of ne- well, a lot of potentially negative reinforcement. Um, yeah, yeah. Before you then learn the patterns and learn the techniques and yeah, get used to it. So yeah. yeah get- so the key things are to to those. Uh, obviously, we're, we're trying to sort of bridge the gap between some people will be listening who know all about this and some people don't. So apologies if we're you know either patronising or going too far. Talking down, talking up. Uh, yeah. But. The, the thing you'll often see fairly early into, you know, some of the, the, the tropes, the, the, the conventions of a cave shoot 'em up and, uh, and other companies, but we're talking about cave today, are uh, a screen that's absolutely rammed with sprites. Um, typically, if any enemy craft other than a boss is on screen for more than half a second, you're not playing very well. Um, typically your character which will be selectable might be a ship might be a person has a visible hitbox that you must avoid making contact with other bullets Um, typically even from the start these days you'll have an enormous amount of firepower Um, and yes after a short period of time the screen will be full of arcing patterns of pink and blue projectiles generally in cave games although not exclusively Um, 
and Twitch is a word that's often used because, which for obvious reasons, because you you know you are wrangling in the arcades. These are arcade machines originally, so you, you know they're designed to be played with uh, a digital eight-way stick, but you can play them perfectly well on uh, iOS with with touchpad we'll get into the how they do that um but also an xbox 360 pad but actually i always think it's a slight misnomer the twitch thing because actually what you're doing is what you learn by playing as well as learning the systems where you can cancel bullets and and various things different games absorb them is actually a visual acuity that you're learning you're actually disregarding probably 98 99 percent of the bullets that are on screen at any one time yeah yeah very much um yeah yeah go ahead darren no, I'm just saying that, I mean, the real way to get through that isn't by kind of twitching yeah, haphazardly no, into the path yeah. of more bullets. It's by very gently curving through the mm. only paths that are available to you. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. You watch anyone who's a far better player than I am at it, and you realise that actually what they're doing is very steadily, very slowly picking a route through the bullets. Um, I, I can't speak to high-level play, but certainly for me... Um, it's kind of an a completely atypical. I mean, obviously, this we call these shooters, and that evokes a first-person and third-person shooter as well, which they do have a. There is a lineage to be drawn back into the eighties of, of a similarity there and a, and a divergence that happened, um, but it's almost completely atypical. Where in in what we think of as a a, a character shooter, uh, first and third person, you're concentrating on what you're shooting. Whereas for me, playing these games. It's not about what you're shooting at all. It's about dodging the bullets. And frankly, I quite like the iOS way of doing it because it's auto fire for me the whole time. Yeah. Um, I'm not concentrating on where my bullets are going, really. I'm concentrating on maneuvering myself through the yeah. incoming projectiles much more. I think, so, yeah. I think, though, if you're going to be uh, sort of a high standard player on this, it's, mm. it's about multitasking because, mm. yeah, you're picking your route through the bullets, but you're also looking at. Um, sort of playing aggressively which is taking out enemies as quickly as possible which is actually you know not backing down the screen actually moving forward into the top of the screen and also yeah. looking at what the um, uh, you know what various meters are being shown in the top left or at the bottom um, <laughs> which you know is a complete and utter rabbit hole to fall down if you really get into the <laughs> the, 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 the gritty mechanics of it um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think to be really good at it you have to do a lot of multitasking and, and mm. Personally, one of my main problems is I'm colourblind. <laughs> so, uh, oh wow! <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I do struggle with uh, with um, picking out certain certain bullets, and certain games are more colourful than others, and that's where I do struggle. Crikey! Mm. Okay, we we will get into sort of we will talk a little bit about some specific man- mechanics on some of the games later. Obviously, every single cave game has its own mechanics, and indeed, each normally because of all the different versions of games, there are multiple mechanics within each game. Um, and this is what, well, as you say, it's not it's not only a rabbit hole with one version. Like if you've got if you've got say the Don Patch Resurrection and you've got the DLC, you've got about nine variants of the game to learn <laughs> and play. And like Akai Katana comes with three variants from the off and, and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, we'll sort of come back to that. Um, so yeah, other other sort of conventions and tropes, feel free to jump in um, as I open them up. So one of, one of them is, um, I was looking earlier at the, uh, the manuals. Now obviously, if you go and play these in the arcades, um, you might have a like in Death Smiles, there are cut sort of cutscenes, um, traditional arcade style cutscenes mm. with the text boxes and stuff. But actually, these games have all got proper like you know multi-page stories and scenarios that yeah. presumably n- most people don't pay that much attention to. I know I don't, but maybe some people out there are well into it. 
Um, I quite enjoy the uh, the background stories to the cave games because they um, uh, they they raise some quite interesting themes. I mean, the, the Don Patchy games are all about the sort of futility of war. Um, mm. uh, am I allowed to spoil the uh, <laughs> the story in the Don Patchy? Yes, uh, spoiler warning. Oh, spoiler warning uh, for any and all cave shooters. <laughs> basically, at the end of the uh, Don Patchy, you find out that all the enemy you're actually fighting against are actually other pilots on your side and the idea is to pick out the ultimate fighting machine um, which yeah. if you get to the end of the second loop and beat the ultimate boss which is Hibachi mm. the giant mechanical bee um, you are the ultimate <laughs> fighting machine um, yeah. it's very it's it's a bit sort of sub uh, Hideo Kojima but um, I, I do like mm. it it's quite enjoyable and there's, there's environmental issues as well uh, yeah. if, if you look into it, so it's, I think it's, it's it is just colour really to um, mm. sort of flesh it out. But it's quite interesting. I quite like that side of it. I actually found Dudon Pachi Resurrection Story to be incredibly depressing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. A lot of the time, I prefer just to focus on the pretty Carter art. You know. Well, they get they get yeah. bleaker as it goes on through the series. Yes, I did and notice. Like you, when you start bringing in the elemental dolls and things like that, um, it gets really yeah. a bit dark. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty much the point where I wasn't allowed to play the game with a length of rope anywhere near the hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the original, uh, I mean, this is uh, uh, interesting in itself that the, the Don Patchy series actually started. It was Cave's first game, Don Patchy. Yeah, then, you know, then it's had yeah many sequels uh, or variants. Da Don Patchy, Da Don Patchy Daioju, Da Don Patchy Resurrection, Da Don Patchy Daifukatsu, and... Um, that's probably their core series, but obviously along the way we've also had uh, Mushihimasara uh, Gwange, which is a sort of historical epic with <laughs> fantasy elements, uh, Esp Garuda, uh, and Death Smiles, which is a tale of uh, teen witches, um, Akai Katana, which is, yeah, kind of, um, yeah, Japanese fantasy. Fa- yeah, fancy, high fantasy almost, to be honest. And then you've got the, the cute ones, uh, Pink Sweets. Things uh, the Ibarra games, Muchi Muchi Port. These are the like these that. are the connection to raising actually because they're pro. Okay. They're, yeah, they're programmed by the guy who did the sort of bat series, Batsugan, okay. Battlegrager. So they when when you play those, they they feel a lot different to the other cave titles. They're more mm. akin to raising titles. Yeah. Um, large larger but <laughs> larger bullets and things like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think- and a brighter palette. I think as far as um, story goes, just to, to quickly dive back to that, um, I think it was, it's quite, I think, well, two points, first of all, I think part of the reason the stories become quite difficult, perhaps for us to interpret, are that um, they are very much backdrop, it's very much uh, cutscenes and bookends to what is frankly a very technical game in, in between, although looking very pretty and having great character art, as Darren mentioned. Um uh, but they're also presented in largely, even when they are localised here, um, all the voiceover is, is still Japanese. It tends to just be uh, subtitles on screen and they're maybe not presented in a way that's easy to digest for someone whose first language isn't Japanese. Yeah. Um, but th- the other thing that I think I find quite telling is that when uh, Grasshopper Games made their kind of homage almost to um, to scrolling shooters, uh, shmups if, if you like, um they actually went 
they showed the degree to which the backstories to these games are really important and incredibly deep if you want to look for them. Mm. Um, uh, and it's very telling. You go to any cave game, you look at the manual and the, there's different descriptions on all the characters, there's backdrops to to it. Often it's not quite clear. I'm thinking particularly of... Um, the Dompachi Resurrection, it's not quite clear uh, if you looked at the manual who you were playing as because all the character stuff is primarily to begin with the element dolls Mm. Um, uh, but those are your antagonists so uh, there's a lot of information there about um, who you're fighting against, what the backdrop of the story is, um, that kind of stuff that maybe then is is a little more uh, hard to to, to find in the game but it's definitely all there and the degree to which all the backstories fleshed out would be fantastic to to yeah. pick away at the, the the writers that they inevitably must have at, at Cave um, you know where they're going with the stories through Dodonpachi and then with something like Akai Katana there's this whole backdrop of fantasy and, and uh, different factions rebelling and and against the emperor, etc. There's all sorts of uh, story to be picked at and looked at, but it doesn't necessarily come through in the games, which is uh, odd uh, and and quite interesting, I think. Sort of made sense uh, that because um, a lot of people commented on Sinomora's very deep um, and involved and quite dow- downbeat story, mm, um, yeah. the game Digital Reality Grasshopper Manufacture game. Yeah. Um, and but that again, you know, that perfectly fits in. Although that's a, that was a Europe main mainly European developed game that mm. perfectly fits in with the lineage. Now when I started playing these Toa Plan games in the 80s they, they did not have this, you know, that mm. you know, there there is so much familiar like when I'm playing uh Akai Katana and there are tanks rolling out of um you know uh ships on the beach or whatever i'm yeah. completely taken back to the to the mid to late 80s and mm-hmm. i still play flying shark now on emulation i love it i still love it and in a way you know the, one of the key differences the fact actually the you know the the very few bullets that were on screen which is obviously you know as much as anything the hardware was much much less powerful and obviously more powerful hardware has allowed more and more and more sprites on screen to the point that it's insane in some of the games um but there are a lot of similarities but one thing was basically you're a plane you know there, there may be some backstory but we're, we're not going to tell you you know put your put your money in and, and scroll up the screen this is like a prettier version of 1942 which was you know kind of a weird game anyway because it was a japanese game where you killed thousands of japanese pilots but mm. um this this sort of thing where it's evolved it's part part of the evolution of the of the genre isn't it i think as, as yeah, mu- almost yeah. as much as the mechanics and the bullets yeah yeah very much yeah um, another evolution. I, I don't actually know at what point this started. Perhaps uh, one of you does know. What was the first cave game with a visible hitbox? Was it was it their first, or did, does it even go back to Turplan times? But th- this was not the case when I was a kid. You know, you did not. You knew that a hitbox exists at some point. I remember the first time I played um, Nemesis or Gradius, um, and I noticed that I could just overlap the wings of the wingtips of mm-hmm. my. A Vulcan ship in uh, Viper, sorry, Vic Viper, um, and I wasn't dying. It's like, oh, okay, collision detection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's kind of like you actually, you kind of have to again that sort of skill uh, of v- disregarding, making your brain disregard a lot of what's on the screen includes a large amount of your character design, which is kind of weird when you think yeah. about it. Mm. Do you know? Yeah. Anyone know when that came in, uh, or is it just a necessary? I do know that it's something that I very find very hard to get used to, even going back to them. Okay. Like even after I've been playing for a while, 
just the larger sprite of my ship mm. is usually what I'm concentrating on. And if you do that for any length of time, you're probably going to get killed trying yeah. to avoid something that is simply not going to hurt you if you go through it. Yeah, I mean hit the hitboxes that you get they're not they're not one pixel they're they're normally a cluster of it's kind a small of uh, glowing circle. orb at the center yeah. of the character generally yeah and virtually it's just like a, a core or a heart basically yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely and ne- they nearly all do they all have them now nearly all I would say yeah no, uh, all, certainly all the all the ones that are over here yeah. on 360 yeah very much and on it, uh, iPhone and Android as well yeah I guess it was just a demand of, of players, you know, who wanted this, you know, they, they wanted this. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I think that the, the bullet curtain itself in, in whatever game, not just Caves games, but Caves do, do it particularly well, has a kind of beauty to it. It's a kind of mesmeric. Oh, yeah, yeah this, um, um, it's, it's almost fra- fractal-esque patterns to it, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, and I suppose people wanted that, but they also needed that clarity on whether whether they were going to get killed or not. And, and so the visible hitbox became... It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because all of the the art and all of the beautiful graphics and the colours that we've talked about—that's kind of set dressing to what is otherwise still in in many ways that you can't with other games. You can draw a direct line back to those games you talked about in the eighties and, um, and and even before, yeah. um, and say that you know if if you took it down to like a wireframe or whatever the basics of of, of these modern shooters are. It would look even more like that, and and it's odd that with all the different set dressing and adornments and the the all the the makeup, if you like, that goes over the top of that that sort of basic structure of the game. Actually, what ended up happening in in recent years, certainly in the past ten years, is the bringing to the fore of that hitbox that that technical aspect of the game actually needed to be visible. Um, so it's almost like they're they're taking a step backwards in order to make the games more uh, enjoyable for for people uh, learning the game and for people at a high level I think as well mm. um, really useful to have on screen but uh, an oddity I think Simon's already touched on it and, and we'll talk about specific mechanics some more but I think again part of the the, the, the thing about these games is that although I can enjoy them in, in to, to a point playing them in the old school shoot 'em up way which is basically you know move around the screen in a figure of eight just keep shooting things Things blow up, things die, things things pop in a satisfying manner. Um, the screen fills with prettiness. There are nice noises. Eventually, after how many credits, how many times you press start, you get to the end. <laughs> you see an end sequence that's inevitably not the best one or the proper one, but you can do that. You can you can play it that way, and there is some pleasure to be had. But the real hook of these games is when you start looking into the collectibles, the Easter eggs, the multiplier meters, the various different. Um, system. So one of the one of the things we haven't mentioned so far, and again, this is true of most cave games. Um, so, for instance, in the arcades, you don't you don't have a shoulder trigger which is mapped to auto fire on on the Xbox 360. But the arcades, you would tap your main fire button to uh, to shoot, but keep moving quickly. But it's a weaker shot. However, you hold down the fire button and you move more slowly, but you shoot more powerfully. And this is a kind of core to most of the games of theirs I've played. Yeah, and it's something that is is kind of appreciable, sort of, but it does kind of need you do need an explanation of that, and and a lot of the games when it when there's a how to play section or or a sort of slight tutorial at the beginning, they do they do mention that because it'd be easy to miss it actually and not realise that's what was happening mm. um, and just hold down fire the whole time and not realise that that's actually impeding a little bit your ability to to dodge smoothly and and quickly. Um, 
Although it can actually help in some situations because yeah, yeah, it actually makes you more m- less more, twitchy, more maneuverable, almost. I suppose, yeah. Mm. Yeah, a lot of the time as well, when you hold down and get the the main beam, it it makes the the counter slow down, so it's easier to actually keep the your chain going, um, depending on which game it is. But um, yeah, yeah I, it's it's not obvious to begin with. I find, and it, I actually quite enjoy this one. It, it, for me, it's going onto the internet and looking at people discussing the scoring mechanics and things like that mm. um you know you have it delving into seeing what people how you know what people's strategies are and things like that and it's a necessity anyway with the import games that are in japanese because you wouldn't yeah, get absolutely anywhere otherwise yeah absolutely and that, yeah that's kind of what i was coming on to you know you can play them in the old school the way of the shooter and i think that's why these games leave some people behind is because there is only so much appeal in just barreling through using umpteen credits yeah actually the real like the the one I find the most compelling of the ones that I've currently got is the the slash mode on Nakai Katana. It's just like the actual the sequence of events, the constant multitasking, the 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 even just almost remembering which button you're pressing and holding in amongst that intense firepower and the sequence where you have to first you have to shoot enemies in one way to get one kind of bar filled up and then you have to shoot them in another way to get another thing and then you have to release uh, your special weapon at just the right time and then the screen is absolutely filled with enormous gold coins and it's so good (laughs) it's like it is it is one of my favorite xbox 360 experiences and it's up there with um, Pac-Man Championship Edition DX uh, eating a chain of 90 ghosts or whatever it is just so gloriously satisfying and where just just playing through the game and shooting the enemies like I did in Flying Shark um, you know it didn't it didn't as much as I loved it and I'm still playing that game you know 30 years later it didn't quite have that same you know gaming orgasm buzz type thing yeah definitely i mean i i tend to exclusively stick to score attack mode where you know once your ships have gone that's it it's over Mm. and if i do play the arcade mode which i tend to do you know when i first play the game just to see everything i'll limit myself to how many credits or how many uh, continues i'm going to use otherwise it does get tedious very quickly and you're right Mm. i think that's what puts people off it's like they'll just go straight through it think well is that it and then not bother returning to see the you know the, the real meat on the bones Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a deal. I mean, I mean, the the way that the current gaming climate is, you know, like nearly every decent major release that's got a campaign is trying to show you something really impressive once and then get you to buy something else, you know. There's very little emphasis on replayability in quite a lot of games nowadays. You know, like Tomb Raider might have decent gameplay, but you're not going to be trying to perfect that by any means, you know. And uh, I just think that for a lot of people going into it cold, they just might not see the entire point of trying to get really damn good at it you know just see that higher level yeah fortunately i mean you know if you look at the online leaderboards on on the 360 games there are a lot of you know people out there mainly in japan um but over the world and hopefully some of them will will seek out cane and rinse because i don't suppose there have been too many podcasts dedicated to to cave shoot 'em ups and uh, and you know hear this podcast but um it is the the depth and the and the addictiveness if you want to use that word comes from that score attacking um that that side of thing learning learning those mechanics and and that's yeah it's it's the it's the the hook and the endorphins that you get from actually from running a good sequence or indeed ultimately is you know obviously to one credit complete is slightly side side project i suppose but if you can do that you're also probably going to be getting a massive score so 
Yeah. Also, just uh, although you can easily just jump online and go to YouTube, I do appreciate that a lot of these games allow you to look at the leaderboards and then have like a replay yes. uh, download yeah. option, so you can just see how inferior you are when you're playing it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was um, I think um, the first game I remember having that was 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 Treasures uh, Ikaruga. I remember that having that on on Xbox Live Arcade, and, and both that and Radiant Silver Gun are they're still there to buy. And I remember, you know, obviously these are games with their own mechanics. They have a very different feel. Those two games, they they deserve a cane and rinse of their own. They're classics. But um, again, I remember people trying the Xbox Live trials of those games and going, "Well, I don't understand what is the fuss about these games. They're just they're just old old school s- scrolling shooters." But hmm. you have to invest in the mechanics of those games to get really yeah. a huge amount out of them because otherwise, it is just it's kind of like it's almost like the you know the old school equivalent of a of a spawn die spawn die game of a first person hmm. shooter or something. It's just there's no reward to it. Um, but as you said, Simon, so much of actually getting good at this game, as well as visual acuity and a certain amount of hand-eye coordination and reflexes are certainly required. And, you know, I'm, I'm no expert at these games by any means. Um, it Practice does pay off a lot because you can counter a lot of these situations. So, for instance, in, um, in Death Smiles, there's a way of... Uh, if you've got exactly the right situation at the right time, you can basically cancel every enemy bullet on the screen. And not only that, you can turn it into something delicious and collectible and and things like that. So it's not always about dodging and weaving your way through umpteen bullets. It's actually about knowing the systems and turning things to your advantage. And then there's also uh, remembering where everything's going to be coming down from because I remember when I was younger and looking at decent play for the first time, you know, like advanced play, and it was the complete opposite of what I was doing because I would usually stay at the back mm. where it's where it's nice and safe. Yeah, yeah. And then you would see all these expert players going straight up to the front of the screen. Yeah. Where they've got no time to dodge if anything goes wrong. Yeah. And just annihilating yeah. enemies before they had a chance to do anything, you know. Yeah. yeah. And that was kind of like a quantum shift in the way that I approached these games. Well, a lot of them have proximity mechanics, don't they? Where the closer you are to the enemy when you destroy it, the more points you get. That's um, right. Yeah. Which I like is it encourages aggressive play. I just wish I was good enough to be good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and some of the uh, some of the um, remixed. I mean, um, Cave. This is one of the things that, that Cave do is that they uh, they do specific modes for specific uh, platforms. Um, and one of the things I have done with uh, Guangi, which is available on Xbox Live Arcade, it's not necessarily the one I would recommend the most to people listening to this who would be interested. Um, I think it's a little bit. It's 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 older than some of the others you can get on 360, and it's perhaps a little bit more. It looks it as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, all of these games come with multiple screen options, so you can put smoothing on or off. You can yeah. zoom in the screen massively and all that sort of thing. Um, but Guangi, for instance, adds a mode where you can actually control your Shikigami, which of course, which is uh, your drone, basically your your um, your spirit force or whatever. Um, in the original arcade machine you wouldn't have had that luxury Mm. Um, but they added a remix mode where you can actually use the right analogue stick to massively boost your score yeah yeah. Um, I I think it's interesting um, the thing about all the different modes is I wonder if that's another thing that puts some people off because if you fire up um, certainly any of the retail releases on Xbox 360 Mm. um, I mean I think Death Smiles for instance there's version 1.1 
several I think there's three different version 1.1s um, yeah. there's a, a couple of different arcade modes there's a couple of different Xbox 360 modes yeah. it's a little difficult I, I know um, Sai you were saying that you just pop it on arcade mode first time through just to see what the game's like but it's a little difficult to know um, like yeah. maybe a, a complex fighting game would be what actually is the mode that someone just beginning should play and some of them do say novice but even on mm. uh, on Death Smiles once you get into Xbox 360 mode there's then level 1, 2 and 3 to play on you know, yeah. there's there's a lot of different options there, and at a certain point, without uh, someone just giving you a, a helping hand and a nudge in the right direction, even beyond picking just which game to play first of all, you've then got which mode and which level to play it at. Not all of them have difficulties, it should be said, but um, it does get quite confusing quite quickly. Yeah, and when you factor in the amount of options that there are of different craft to play, which each have yeah. their own weapons yeah. and handling, and then sometimes even within that, there are different modes different and, shoot, and shooting types you can play. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally different bomb yeah, types it, and stuff, it, yeah. It is a minefield, yeah. 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 Uh, another um, sort of feature of these games, again, compared to the games that that came their f- the, the early eight, mid eighties forerunners, um, the levels tend to be very brief, um, mm. like really short levels. Um, before inevitably a showdown, sometimes a mid boss, often there's a mid boss mm. um, with a quicker to deplete energy bar, and then normally there is, you know, one of the iconic things about this game is is the screen filling boss with spewing out uh, <laughs> flowers and flowers of, uh, of delightful yeah. uh, laser death plasma death um, often multi-stage uh, giant energy bars as well yeah metamorphosis yeah. Um, and a lot of you know that we were talking about the art and, and how it's kind of window dressing but actually you know there's some there's some really great you know mecha designs and oh, enemy yeah. designs yeah. in this some of them are crazy so you know in different games so in in, in Mushima Summer it might be a massive insect in mm-hmm. Gwangi it's a bizarre cat creature in death smiles it's a giant cow, cow um, but you hardly see that you know you can hardly see them you don't really get to look at them it's actually worth watching other people play it not only to learn how to play it but to actually see the graphics <laughs> i'd argue it's pretty tough to miss mary to be honest yeah it's mary, pretty obvious yeah. when she comes steaming in the side of the, the screen that yeah. that's a cow <laughs> yeah um, and another well-known feature of these games, and it's not just, uh, again, not just Caves games, um, is slowdown. Now, this is an interesting one um, because there certainly have been games which simulate slowdown to make certain sections easier. Uh, but obviously the tradition of slowdown comes from hardware creaking under the strain mm. of animating so much information uh, at one time. But... There was an in, uh, interesting interview with uh, some cave people, from, for want of a better term, f- uh, by Will Freeman in Develop a few years ago. Um, and he asked, uh, the inclusion of slowdown in your games, uh, where the game speed drops in an apparent reaction to hardware capability, is now something almost unique to shmups. That's not true, depending on what yeah, what games you're trying to run on what machine. But yeah, uh, is that something you simulate? And if so, why do you include it? So the cave response to this was: caves games certainly have their difficult side, wherein there are situations where there are lots of bullets on screen. In these situations, we will see slowdown occur where the game speed drops, and it is easier to find a route through the bullet patterns. However, it's not just these situations, nor conveying the sense of dilemma when you have been pushed into the corner while the game speed has dropped. And although this is a simulated 
good feeling, the player experiences a certain sense of awakening, and this situation can transform into something satisfying. Difficult portions are not difficult for difficulty's sake. The meaning of slowdown in bullet heaven, sh- bullet heaven, intra- <laughs> different term, <laughs> yeah. um, bullet heaven shooters is accentuating the difficulty of the game and containing this potential for difficult situations to become enjoyable. Most of cave titles experience slowdown from the hardware aspect, but there are some of our games which emulate this via software. With the iPhone version of the game, we have not replicated the slowdown of the arcade version. If slowdown is occurring, it is literally slowing down on the hardware, so it depends which model of iPhone or iOS device you've got as to whether you will see this or not. The reason we did not replicate slowdown with Espegluder 2 is... Uh, schedule reasons were part of it but the controls were originally designed for another type of hardware so instead of a complete port we aimed for something that would draw out a fun control method to complement the iPhone interface Um, yeah so there is some slowdown on some of the Xbox 360 games which I assume is probably there is probably emulated that's probably emulated yeah but it seems uh, like some of the other versions it's not it's really interesting because often we talk about like technical limitations in terms of uh, platform or in terms of budget particularly for smaller indie games and that kind of thing um, and that allowing creativity to blossom but it seems like this is almost happenstance where Cave in making the shooter have found that if slowdown does occur it's actually beneficial so there's no point worrying too much about it um, but yeah, it's it's really difficult trying to work out whether it's intentional. It seems like it is to a certain extent, but but it's not something they actually design into their games so that they would add it in if it wasn't occurring just from the hardware. It's just like they, they want to push the hardware as hard as they can um, to, to get as many bullets on the screen and, and the, the benefit of that for the player, obviously, I guess, is, is slowdown occurs. Really interesting response. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they. I think in Japan they reissued a few of the 360 games because the slowdown wasn't in the right place. So I think oh, it's. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a bit of both, really, because um, mm. the, the purists who play obviously play a lot in the arcades mm. will demand that the home port is exactly the same as it is in the arcade. Yeah, like yeah, the slowdown's in yeah. exactly the same place. And if you look at the earlier console ports. People will pick, say, the first uh, from the first two Don Patches, Don Patch and the Don Patchy. They tend to mm. go for the PS1 version because the slowdown's yeah. more authentic, right? Amongst other reasons, that's that is fascinating. Um, yeah, definitely. yeah, and they, you know, we're talking about the various versions and remixes and modes they include. They tend to each of these games tends to include the vanilla arcade mode, um, which you know presumably is the closest thing to playing the coin op um, and obviously ideally you want to play it with an arcade stick plugged in um, of course uh, a lot of these games are available to play um, because they are still released uh, first and foremost in Japan in the arcades um, they are available to play on MAME I would thoroughly recommend that um, anyone listening to this buys some cave games um, we'll talk about their European distribution but the, several are available on disc and one is available on XBLA but I certainly wouldn't discourage people from seeking some of these out on, on emulation um, you know some of them just aren't available in any in any reasonable or realistic way over here for a start um, but it also it, it can depend the slowdown can depend on how you're you know the machine you're running them on you know like the PC I've got now is 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 monstrously capable of running mm-hmm. current PC games you know Polygon things Battlefield Four or whatever at, at full spec so it can run any uh, emulated shoot 'em up without slowdown but presumably I, I assume uh, Mame includes the option to actually simulate the original clock speed of the 
of the of the machine or or whatever. It, or, it would you know, it would have to otherwise they'd run into the similar problem that DOS games run into where mm, you end up with they run at crazy yeah re- ridiculously fast. So I would assume yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's ways of, of accurately simulating. But yeah. Obviously, the purest way to play a lot of these games is to uh, visit Japanese game centres. Um, and indeed, there are there are still <laughs> there are still some out there, and they do still have they do still have these games in. Um, sadly, not so many over here. Uh, let's see if we can't um, sort of get a handle on some of those techniques and mechanics and things we've been talking about. Um, um, but yes, it, it, okay. If somebody wants to explain how you play, say, Dodonpachi properly. <laughs> okay, right. Okay, well, it obviously depends which Dodonpachi you're playing. The earlier one you play, in, earlier title you play in the series, the more simplified the scoring mechanic. The ones mm. later on add more and more layers. But essentially, the idea is to sweep across the screen, taking out as many enemies as possible, thus building an accumulator which is in the top left hand corner and the idea is to balance between your regular fire which is tap 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 and your bigger laser which is holding it down the bigger laser Mm. will stall the uh the chain so you've got more time to move across the screen to continue the loop so in theory it's possible to do a chain from the very first enemy on screen to the very end very last one you see Beautiful. Yeah, and it, it's I've seen videos of it on YouTube, and it's it's obscene and extremely beautiful to watch. Yeah. Uh, later titles um, add in the hypermeter, which uh, when you reach us, re- I think reach a certain number on the counter, um, you can activate the hypermeter, which does even more damage. Uh, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it it generates the coins and tokens depending on which title yes. you're playing yeah because um, you get the higher level coins yeah. the different sizes of coins yeah. and as Leon said earlier on when you start seeing the gold suddenly appear from the baddies it is absolutely beautiful to see and you know you're racking up a high score when that starts happening yeah because so and yes I mean most most of these games also we haven't said um, they normally give you some kind of get out clause bomb smart bomb type attack which can either help you wear down bosses or clear a screen or um, and sometimes they detonate automatically in certain situations to save your life Um, but actually you know like you can be playing uh, so going back to slap fight one of their earliest games which I used to play uh, both at the arcades and on my friend's Commodore 64 in in the 80s um, you would shoot things and obviously one of the mo- one of the key concerns in in shoot 'em ups in those days were to collect power ups uh to simply increase your firepower now that may have been true in some of the earlier games certainly um now you tend to start with the most ridiculous screen filling amount of firepower as it is and it's more about collecting stuff um but i remember in slap fight you would you know um sweep the terrain for collectibles same as i mean in Zevius, you know namco's predecessor to that you were, there were sort of easter eggs where you could find hidden flags by bombing certain areas in the surface so in dodonpachi you're seeing all these big gold pentagons appearing all on the floor no matter how badly you play you'll get those and you think oh cool okay i'm collecting gold stuff and little bees that's cool they're worth points right but of course these are worth nothing compared to what you're actually supposed to be collecting i mean the the gold the pentagons uh, add up at the end of the level don't they so they're they're yeah. more to do with staying alive and not losing any lives to get the biggest but really the stuff you want to collect is the is the are the sort of sparkles the gold sparkles that appear when you blow up large craft in a certain configuration yeah and that's a kind of theme that goes through most of the games, isn't it? It's about 
being in a certain mode and using a certain method of firing at a particular point to kill things in a certain way and then have enormous amounts of shiny things get magically gravitated towards whatever you are and big numbers start racking up <laughs> yeah i mean you look at the bees as well in uh, particularly in the donpachi resurrection yeah um if you look they change color and switch over sort of change direction and the idea is to hit them when they go white and then you get the bonus of both colors essentially when it's one color you get a point bonus when it switches to the other color you get your hypermeter builds yeah. if you get it just at the sweet spot is when it turn, turns white your hypermeter fills almost right up plus you get the point bonus as well so it, again it's all about memorization of when it's going to do it and being in the right place at the right time yeah again it's this this incredible um it, it's it's hard to like imagine actually quantify how many sort of calculations one's brain's making per second when playing yeah. these games or you know trying to play them properly like Again, you, you've already you both mentioned you've all mentioned I think um, watching you know high level play videos um, or or indeed replays from downloaded direct to your to your machine, um, and I think as much as we said I think it's true that practice goes a long way and visual acuity is more important than hand eye coordination in a way and reflexes, but there is a level to which these games can be played that. does require simply somebody who is very you know naturally gifted or capable at this sort of gameplay in the same way as um you know the best starcraft players are people who you know are they can do that they can click the mouse that fast they can think that fast tennis players you know snooker players whatever these are people who are the, the the ability needed to play these games at the top level is beyond what most people will be capable of yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think when when I talk about just focusing on dodging the bullets and not actually paying attention to anything else on the screen, that's how everyone starts off playing these games. Yeah. It's just about survival, and that's where score attack mode comes in because just having one continue and that's it, you get as far as you can get. That gives you an obvious um, target, an obvious goal, um, and, and also removes the, the negative reinforcement I talked about of several continues on the trot. Um, but ultimately, at a certain point, you know, once you get hypothetically get to the point where you can play through on a single continue, then at that point, the challenge is no longer surviving. The challenge becomes about getting further up the leaderboards, and that means taking into account the score, scoring system, um, using all the various meters that Sai talked about. Um, and yeah, that, at that point, it becomes this quite scary uh, prospect of all the various different things you've got to be looking for on screen and it becomes less and less about surviving because that's kind of a given um, and that's that's one of the most enjoyable things though. I mean from when you first hmm. start playing the game to when you reach your you know your the best you're ever going to be at it you might only move up a couple of million or hundred million but the progression from being you know just surviving by the skin of your teeth to <laughs> You know, just chipping away at or building that a higher score is f- fantastically rewarding. Even though you'll still be, you know, nine thousandth on the <laughs> on the score table, it's it's all relative, I think. I'm just saying that every time I see myself at uh, number nine thousand on the leaderboard, it's just like gut wrenching. <laughs> I was just about to say, I think actually this is where for me friends' leaderboards are. You know, having the the way that um, yeah. the modern, you know, the last generation of consoles brought this in. Um, standardized friend you know leaderboard online leaderboards with friends lists is just brilliant for this because 
even if you're not you know you're not necessarily toing and froing going at each other you know taunting each other and stuff it's just the general you know i've got i've got games thinking about high score attack games like geometry wars 2 or whatever i've you know i've still got if i load that up i've still got a load of friends on there with scores to challenge and that you know that it that never goes away the only shame is with with some of these games is that not enough people on my friends to play them um but I can't, you know. I I look at the overall leaderboards and just look at the top scores in pure awe and admiration. But when I I'm only ever trying to beat my own score or those of my, or those of my friends, and even some of my friends yeah. are beyond me. But that's fine with me. I'm never going to be yeah, a world class no, player. I think this um, this conversation we've had really highlights something that when when I knew we were doing this show, the first question that came to my mind was about the fact that these games are considered niche and that to a great degree I think it's kind of assumed that not much has changed in nigh on 20 years Mm. in the bullet hell shooter arena if you like kind of since Cave started the the assumption is that Cave and Treasure and those sorts of companies are kind of just iterating on art styles and not really changing gameplay but when you start playing these games you realise that even if it's just the sort of core hook, the core special ability that you have beyond just shooting there is quite there is quite a distinct difference that maybe just in terms of surviving through a, le- a level or you know surviving as long as you can doesn't come to the fore but as soon as you start looking at scores then the bombs don't become about surviving and, and that get out of jail aspect it becomes about um, choosing the correct moment and choosing your positioning on the screen correctly because again, as I said, it's not about surviving anymore. It becomes about uh, exerting your power. Because Leon, you've said a couple of times, from the start of these games, you have an incredible amount of firepower. So really, it it very much is what a lot of of, of other games are. It becomes about being a bit more of a power fantasy, a power trip type mm-hmm. thing. Um, but that takes a degree of expertise that certainly I can't fathom ever having. But it, it's there for you you have that firepower you have all of the means at your disposal to be the great threat that requires all these enemies with all this firepower to try and stop you on screen and and, uh, when you get to watching higher level players you really do see the fact that they're all tools at at your disposal to to take this these games apart almost and and it becomes everything's a weapon at your disposal it's not all a threat anymore um, and that's really interesting um, I'm not sh- very much like something like Starcraft I guess there is a moment at which that tipping point occurs um, it's just somewhere on the horizon for me and I don't think it'll ever get uh, too too much closer unfortunately but yeah that's it I mean I've you know I've been trying to get good at these games basically my whole life um uh, you know it's never going to happen um but I, I can play them well enough to enjoy them uh i did i did one credit a complete um did on patchy resurrection on the i on the iphone um well. so uh that was that was a good moment um i don't think i was playing it particularly you know well in a lot of ways i don't think i was but i was dodging well that day you know and just <laughs> um the fact that they used the direct touch control rather than some kind of ridiculous on-screen digital yeah that may be an option but i certainly would never choose it um it's weird because you know you're covering you're covering some of the screen with your finger which which is a problem but actually not much more than the hitbox so um if you you know if you oh do you that's that's interesting because um 
Probably the only ones I have access to at the moment, uh, I'm on Android now. I, I have right. played uh, Mushihima-sama um, mm. on on iPhone, but um, Espaglodia 2 is on um, is on Android, and, and so I fired that up mm. uh, recently. But um, the the big thing about that was um, not only do you have uh, the 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 only thing you have on the screen is is one button uh, well a, a number of buttons for your special moves um but actually there's a border down the bottom yes um, yeah. and you can use your finger in that and so the only time you're really covering the screen for me is when i want to move up the screen yeah. um quite away so i'm it never does actually have covering a, a section uh, of the screen but yeah you can actually basically touch where you want your ship to be oh yeah yeah, um, yeah there's a, there's a number of configurations um right. yeah. yeah various you can lay out various ways and obviously it'll depend on whether you're using an android uh, you know with a different size screen or an, uh, an yeah, ipad yeah the, the, i think uh, these get i mean you know i think there are now specific ipad versions yeah uh, yeah there are there are a couple yeah. that are hd or yeah. called hd ones yeah, I mean, I've just played the the iPhone versions, and and you know, for the for the two ninety nine or whatever they cost, uh, I think they're they're pretty fantastic. It blows my mind yeah. a little bit when I'm playing games like this on a phone. Um, I know it shouldn't, but yeah. it, it really is does. worth saying they were more expensive when they came out. They were uh, five and six pounds for the black label versions, um, uh, okay. and and also that it depends which platform you're on. For the Android versions, they were farmed out to GG. Who did? I, oh. They certainly have a wrapper around it where you have to go into. If you launch the game, it launches into a separate company's kind of almost social pr- oh, okay. presentation page thing, and then you download and launch the game from within that. So it may depend upon which platform you're on as mm. to who knows how authentic a reproduction it is of the original game. I, I, it's difficult to say, but um, yeah, yeah, it's it's like um, it's like Blissful Death has got the um, on iOS has got the microtransactions uh, that had everyone up in arms because the microtransactions gave people advantages, but they the the scoreboards were consolidated, so everyone was jumbled up together. So of course ah. the, the purists <laughs> are up in arms, so they patched it. So they had they've got those two separate uh, high score leaderboards now: one for the uh, the cheating cheaters <laughs> yeah. and another for the purists. That's good. Uh, yeah, I, I noticed I think, actually. I think they could have been a lot more devious by just removing the scores of anyone that hadn't bought the microtransactions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I noticed actually. Uh, I haven't currently got uh, any of the cave games installed to my phone, but I noticed they were all getting updates recently. I don't know what that was about. Uh, every mm-hmm. cave game I own on iOS, which is uh, several, um, all had some sort of patch recently, um, but I don't know what that was about. Uh, <laughs> But they're all yeah, still it, there. It's an interesting microcosm of, uh, I guess, just what Cave end up having to do in order to to find publishers in various territories and on various platforms to get their games out there. So I guess a company like GG goes to Cave and says, "Hey, we'll put your game out um, on Android." Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely, and, and so that's how it ends up on Android because Cave just aren't a company in a position to be able to do all of the publishing and porting of their own games. Um, yeah, I mean they've uh, so. they've they've definitely gravitated towards mobile gaming now. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the real tragedies really was I know they bought uh, Goangay out on XBLA, yes. and one of their um, publishers, I think it's 5PB who have done a lot of their stuff in Japan 
went to Microsoft and said we want to bring more cave stuff to XBLA That's and right. and they turned around and said uh, Microsoft turned around and said no we want to move away from arcade yeah. ports which is a real shame because the digital services would be perfect for cave absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely. and it and it's and they're inconsistent with that because they they did say that this was back in 2008 um, I found a joystick article relating to it uh, they wanted to bring Dodon Patch Daioju Black Label X and uh, Katsui X um, and others um and yeah, they were. They were. This was the point where XBLA was saying, "Ah, oh, we got far too many, just you know, vanilla um, arcade ports." But the thing is, since then, since that point, there have been others, other other games, and you know, makes me happy. I love it when when arcade stuff comes out on XBLA um, because I love playing those games emulated with um, when they've got achievements and high score tables. It, it makes perfect yeah. sense to me. So they've kind of been inconsistent with that. I feel well, and also, of course, the the irony being that it was up to Microsoft what went on that service. So, if they felt there was a saturation or an excess, then it was only down to them, and maybe they should have been a bit more careful in, um, you know, properly picking and choosing the the games that went on there, and games like this that aren't able to get releases mm. otherwise, and and are so suited to that type of distribution um, would have been a perfect niche for for a company that was trying to make moves towards you know Japanese um, considered hardcore Japanese titles like shmups and, and JRPGs at the time and uh, great, yeah. pushing towards. I mean, I mean welcoming these kind of games on themselves in the first place was one of the things that got them credentials with gamers uh, when they were trying to establish themselves you know mm-hmm. like when the Xbox came out there was quite a lot of Japanese games like Jet Set Radio Future and Dead Alive 3 and stuff like that that mm-hmm. helped to show that they weren't just going after casuals or whatever, you know. A lot of people yeah. were viewing them with scepticism, and accepting these kind of games then gave them a lot of credential that they might not otherwise have had. And then as it progressed through the years with the Microsoft, they kind of pissed a lot of that away, you know. And part of the, uh, you know, part, part of the inconsistency is that actually Gwangi came out in 2010, two years after they said that they weren't yeah. interested, yeah. you know. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, peculiar. Um, and I mean, it's definitely not a quality assurance thing because I mean, some of the games that came out instead mm. of those have been dire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you know, they're, they're niche, but there are other obscure niche games. I mean, there's plenty of games on there from SNK, for instance, pure yeah, arcade yeah, yeah. ports uh, of of hardcore fighting games, Fatal Fury, and stuff like that. So it's not, it's not something that they shied away from. In also, ways. more relevant, Sky Stage, which we played cooperatively on Xbox Live. Yeah, Sky Stage and um, Trouble Witches Neo as well, which is kind of very similar mm-hmm. to Death Smiles in yeah. a lot of ways. SNK's sort of um, uh, Teen Witches <laughs> game. <laughs> um, and that's still on there. Um, we mentioned it a couple of times. Uh, black labels and mega black labels. Um, mm. and this is when the vanilla games weren't easy enough for the hardcore fans, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they tend to release these. Sometimes they're, they, they're included out of the box, but sometimes they're paid for DLC. <laughs> so uh, you can you can add Black Label, Dodon Patchy Resurrection or whatever to you. Um, I've had a look at some of these, and I, and I have paid for them because I just like Cave to get some of my money because I don't, you know, I know they ha- there was a story about them being in financial difficulty not yeah. so long ago. They still seem to be going at the moment. Um but black label and mega black label we've talked about how difficult the games are generally um (laughs) anyone dabbled with the black label variants yeah a a bit now and again uh, i mean i like i say i tend to stick to the version that is most close to the arcade version yeah um but i have dabbled and 
they're interesting because they shake up the bullet patterns they are more difficult the bosses have you know their energy bars are much higher Uh, and um, they also remix the music a lot of the time which is quite interesting Mm. Um, yes the music is a bit of a a mixed bag and an acquired taste in these games but it is interesting I think some of the games have got some excellent soundtracks yeah, diff- different composers for different games. We won't name check them all. The listeners will hear some music from Death Smiles and uh, Did on Patchy Resurrection uh, around this podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it varies quite a lot depending on the subject matter. As we've discussed, they've got a lot of different settings. Some of it's more classic. Like the Dunlop Patchy music is like classic Japanese coin-op music. Um, but then you've got, in, in Death Smiles, you've got some heavy guitar pieces, but you've also got some sort of gothic um, organ and, you know, stuff like this. Um, yeah, it's, there's all sorts of stuff. Yeah, well, the the, the first Don Patch is very uh, is very power metal actually. I think they mm. become a lot more high energy dance a bit later yeah. on. Yeah, um, but yeah, there, it, there's some there's some really cheesy power metal in the early to Don Patches. It's great. <laughs> I've, I've got a, I've got to admit one thing about the Mega Black Label uh, side of things for Death Smells. I played that primarily just because I find Mega Black Label just to be an awesome subtitle. <laughs> there, there is that and and also it's it's one of those things where if you practice on Mega Black Label you can then go back to the other version and find it much easier um, there is something to be said for that like practicing um, Street Fighter on, on the highest level um, that that kind of uh, thing, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and other I mean, as well as um, as you as you say, Simon arranged soundtracks. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, as is a tradition with home ver- home versions of arcade games, sometimes you get uh, the original chip generated coin up music and uh, a rearranged section. Sometimes these various arranged versions of the game, so arranged B version L version one point five one, whatever version you're playing, as well as quite radically different score mechanics um they also have uh, color palette changes um sometimes whole new levels things like that so there's so much going on in here um i know uh, S- simon you'd said to me that um depending upon which version because often uh, or it seems like sometimes at least the black label versions are actually packaged in new retail releases as well um and it can depend upon which version that came out in japan whether or not it's region free um and and can be played over here. Um, it, so it, it's it tends to be that once Rising Star get their hands on the, on it, which is tends to be yeah. the, the the people who bring it over to the West, they tend to yeah, bundle to your, the black yeah. label in, in to the version that we get. I mean, Death Smells Deluxe, I think. Yeah. it consolidated yeah. all of the different um, variations mm. but if you look at the original um, console releases in Japan there were you know there were version 1.1s version 1.2s and then a black label so there were multiple re- box releases so black label's not always a sort of compilation of all the different versions with the new black label version on the top no I don't no I don't think so it tends to be no, no. like I say it's once we once the ones that we do get in the west they tend to, tends to be bundled them all together all yeah. Already, yeah yeah interesting so another uh, another element um, to these games now some of them are, as we've said they've, they've, there's a lot of different art styles and scenarios and stuff um, but some of the games um, are quite heavy on the the hentai um, <laughs> quite a lot of it sort of sapphic um, and quite a lot of it if you look at the ages of the characters in say Death Smiles they yeah. tend to be between 11 and 13 um, now I'm quite glad I'm, gen- no, I'm genuinely glad that none of this stuff is censored in the Rising Star releases they haven't done what they used to do sometimes with these things which is um, bump up the ages of the characters this is 
how they are designed to be. Um, but there is a certain sexualization to some very young female characters um and in some of the, the the games like is it ibarra yeah it's you know it's just full-on uh you know b- bosoms everywhere and stuff which is which is you know it's a thing some people don't mind some people do but it, it can be a bit uncomfortable i find well yeah. i think you have to be sort of sympathetic towards sort of japanese sort of subculture they are mm-hmm. games that are, you know they're inherently japanese so to uh, get your knickers in a twist about this kind of thing is a bit that was an ironic uh, time phrase, by the way. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> I think you just have to roll with it, basically. I mean, I mean, you look at Death Smiles; it has that um, the whole Lolita, got ep- elegant Gothic Lolita thing going mm. on. And mm-hmm. I did a bit of research on that at work, mm. and I quickly had to close down my uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> not, the, not the time nor the place. No, but I mean, and then you look at like games like Muchy Muchy Pork, which ha- the main character is a fifteen-year-old girl, and you yeah. see her on the front cover. She's not a fifteen-year-old girl, no. <laughs> and I think She's if these were more developed, definitely. And I think if these were more high-profile games, you'd have yes. the usual culprits, yep. spitting feathers. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, uh, and that's sort of that's why it's interesting in a way. Um, yeah. Death Smiles Deluxe Edition: The Rising Star actually comes with a second disc, as as some of these do, um, with a, a what's called a, a desktop something or other and it comes with three discs doesn't it desktop yes, accessory discs, yeah. um, which includes as I found out when I put it on my computer a load of really inappropriate artwork of 11 to 14 year old girls um, and you know it's not it's not explicit they're not you know they're not actually showing off their privates or anything um, but these are clearly uh, characters that are meant to be sexually alluring they're showing off yeah. bits of underwear stocking that sort of thing um, I think the most kind of obvious overtly sexual one is rosa who's 17 it's kind of like oh well, she's she's okay she's legal <laughs> so, in some countries um, um yeah that's true yeah it's a strange it's a strange part of the whole cave experience we had we had a discussion similar to, not dissimilar rather to this on the metal gear solid peace walker um, did, yes. show uh, issue and um i think sai is absolutely right there is a, a cultural difference there um that said Death Smiles pushes me about as close as I can go to being <laughs> yeah. able to take that art style. Um, yeah. it, it is fair to say that, so the, I think the characters in Death Smiles are 11, 13, 14 and 17 mm-hmm. and there is a definite uh, trajectory of, of sexualization that, that skews uh, it increases with age so there is that to be said for it but that's not to <laughs> dis, uh, dis, uh, to um, to miss or, or skip over the fact that the the end cutscene for the fourteen-year-old character, who I think is Follett, or mm-hmm. maybe Folly, because I think she's the French character. Yeah, um, is words are failing me. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, there is a cultural difference, but in most of the world, it is not appropriate to sexualize a fourteen-year-old girl. Yeah, that's true. It, it, it's not. It. it Yes, we there are various situations we can say yes, there are music videos, yes, there are magazines, yes, there are all these things, and certainly they have uh every bit as much responsibility to be um to be responsible, I guess, when it comes to depictions, um and, and it's it is very much uh we have to be careful not to demonize the 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 medium and the entertainment that we enjoy so much, uh, and and let film and TV etc. off with doing something similar. But um, yeah, Death Smiles 
did push me to a place mm. where I thought this much and no further thank you very yeah. much yeah fortunately not all of their games are like you know um, I mean yeah, there are, no absolutely Akai Katana doesn't really have any of that Dodon no, no. doesn't really um, Akai Katana is very similar to uh, sort of what you'd see a typical JRPG character design yeah for, for uh, male and female characters so yeah but it's frustrating because a lot of um, Death Smiles you know it's kind of got this sort of gothic Halloween yeah it's um, interesting it's yeah. kind of like uh, it, it's got some music that was very redolent of Darkstalkers um, you know the Capcom uh, monster horror fighting mm. game series and, and all that sort of thing and it's got some it's got some funny cutscenes and some am- yeah. amusing, interesting characters, but it has this this aspect to it, which yeah, I think Simon's absolutely right. If these games sold as many as um, you know, yeah, Tomb Raider or, or Metal Gear Solid or something like that, these would be getting censored probably. Um, and like, yeah, I, although fundamentally I'm I'm against censorship, it's a strange issue. It's a strange thing mm. that uh, that these these come out like this, and obviously some of the uh, uh, offending games for want of a better term aren't available over here um, officially um, but some of them are available on um, region free import yeah. I believe um, so Simon this is this is particularly your area I don't know if any of the rest of you have got any imports I would love to get them and when I've got some money again uh, every time I see Simon talking about them on Twitter I'm like oh god I've got to get those cave <laughs> games that I don't have for 360 um, genuinely this this collection this little pile I've got here of, of cave titles um, is one of the reasons one of the key reasons I will never get rid of my Xbox 360 even though I can you know I can play these on on emulation or whatever these have leaderboards these have achievements that I'll never get um <laughs> But yes, so one of the interesting elements is, although we have Bless Rising Star games for what they do, and they release them with full yeah. colour manuals and extra discs and soundtracks, and, and it's fantastic. The whole hog, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, just brilliant. But there are even more in America that Rising Star haven't brought out over here. So, Simon, tell us some of the gems that you've managed to pick up on region-free Xbox 360 disc. Right, um... Well, there's the most recent, the Donpachi, which is Saidaiju. I'm not great at pronouncing it. Which um, yeah. it, I'm afraid it delves into the uh, dodgy art style territory again. It fo- okay. yeah, it focuses around the um, elemental dolls. Oh. Um, and if you read into the elemental dolls, they were uh, basically robots that were bred to please humans who happen to be yeah. very young-looking, scantily clad girls. So make make uh-huh. of that as you will. And yeah. um, it's it's basically it's the, it's the last Dodonpachi apparently, um, and there's a dress up oh. element to it. If you're into dressing up the yeah. elemental dolls, <laughs> um, I haven't. I have to be honest, I've not played enough of it yet to uh, really get to grips with it. <laughs> so, so I shouldn't say get to grips with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can also get uh, Escaluda Two Black Label um, okay. Region Three, which is also available on iOS. It yeah. is. So, yeah. um, some of these are sorry. Some of these are J- J- Japan. So Dodonpatch uh, Side Ioju is Japan only. That's Japan um, only. S- it's n- yeah, yeah. There's sorry, a, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, Leon, um, Escalade Two Black Label. The standard edition of that is region free, but there's yep. a limited edition well that, as well that comes with a Xbox 360 faceplate. If you've got oh. if you've got a Japanese um, Xbox 360, which I'm sure plenty of your listeners <laughs> have got one, hmm. um, <laughs> I'm sure many. What is the what is the deal with Cave and the Xbox 360? They're like, why are they on yeah. 360 and not PS3? Well, I, I just I think mystery. I think I think it's got something to do with trying to obviously break the 360 in Japan. However, mm. there's been a sort of a, 
sort of a glimpse of hope really because um, they released Ketsui Kitsuna Jugoku Tachi Extra on the mm-hmm. Xbox 360, which is um, has a, it, the art style is very similar to Under Defeat, you know the um, Dreamcast yes. game. Yep. It also has a helicopter as the main um, craft, yep. uh, and they actually ported that to PS3 yes. last year, and that's the, I think it's the first PlayStation Cave game in about ten years. And they were actually lined up to do a Vita title as well, which unfortunately is being cancelled. And I'm not oh, even going to okay. attempt to. Um, uh, pronounce that. Um, so uh, it looks like I've got a feeling they may. Shirotsuku. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I've got. I've got a feeling they may be edging towards Sony again, which would be great, okay. um, particularly yeah, from a region three um, basis. PS one and PS two era, they were they were on that and Saturn uh, as well. Um, but it just yeah, it's just weird that this very um, obviously Japanese company with its very obviously Japanese games and, and game names uh, allied with the console, which you know famously did nothing over there um, well, and, and never will I mean I, I don't, I've already mentioned that, uh, and Sai you just mentioned as well I wonder how much of it is similar to the JRPG rush that happened at the beginning of the 360 oh, um, definitely. Microsoft maybe just trying to get very Japanese centric or j- typically Japanese games onto their system in order to help sort of break the console in Japan Um so that explains why maybe in, in sort of 2008 that was happening. What it doesn't explain is why in, until right up to 2012 that was still kind of the case. I wonder, therefore, how much of it might also be that um, Microsoft having Xbox Live Arcades, having maybe slightly more established way of getting downloadable content and implementing leaderboards, etc., hmm. maybe that just more naturally fitted, whereas it might have been a bit more of a... Um, a struggle to do that on PS3 that's complete speculation from my point of view but when I think of like arcade style games with leaderboards Xbox 360 seems like a more natural home for some of those than PlayStation 3 because of the infrastructure yeah or Microsoft uh, offered them more money yeah it seems weird to have that relationship um, in in one way but then also there was the yeah we're not going to release cave games on XBLA apart from this one in 2010 yeah, yeah. Um, it's a really random one to release as well. I think it's not. Yeah, one, it is, yeah. It's not a definitive. <laughs> I would say it's, it's a great game, but it's not a definitive cave title. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the thing was, I mean, this is only hearsay to a degree, but I did hear that Sony were trying to move away from anything that was two D or looking yeah. like last gen. That's been so, said of Sony uh, many times over the last mm. twenty years, going even all the way back to the early PS One days when um, Rapid Reload, aka Gunner's Heaven, came out. It was like, yeah, that was they a don't. Good game. Yeah, but they don't, you know, it was all like, well, Sony don't really want these sorts of things on. And the same again, PS2 launch, Gradius 3 and 4 double pack. Uh, oh, Sony don't really want these old, because it just makes their console look old. And um, I think we're actually at a point now where people, uh, even if even if this is a niche podcast about a niche series of games, <laughs> I think there have been so many amazing games that play in 2D over the last five years Yeah, um, that I think people are now even, you know, kind of, maybe not the most casual gamers who just want to play Call of Duty or FIFA or whatever, but generally the gaming, you know, the kind of the core of gamers appreciate that there is absolutely, in the same way as people still make black and white films, you know, Nebraska came out recently, there is, there are reasons to have 2D games that play in two dimensions. It offers different things, a different feel, a different perspective, different mechanics. Well, I think uh, casual gamers will be some of the first to recognise that with, if you think of portable gaming and Facebook gaming, a That's lot a of that is point. not 3D space, and, and when we talk about barriers to yeah. to what we would consider main, hardcore, mainstream, whatever the 
term you want to use is gaming a, a, a lot of the stereotype is still using dual analog sticks to navigate a 3D environment mm. is a, a problem for someone who's not done that so that's a very think, very good yeah, point 2D yeah. games are, are of course they may not yeah, immediately you know if they're playing Candy Crush they may not look at uh, Mushihime Sama the title and, and the, and the thing, screen yeah. and go yeah okay they, they let's try the that colours and think that that's yeah. Yeah. well that's probably yeah. why they released it as Bug Princess and Bug Princess yes. 2 over here because yes. Japanese title like that is going to just people are just going to go no I'm, what the hell is yeah. that yeah, yeah absolutely um, yeah um yeah, I mean, Dodonpachi still gets called that over here. Um, Death Smiles is obviously fine. Um, mm-hmm. Akai Katana could have been called Red Sword, but, pff, you know, it sounds, it sounds exotic. Red Steel could be a bit of a confusion there as well, I yeah. suppose. So. Um, the blood splat on blid. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that sort of thing. And one other one, I think we mentioned it before we, we came on air, as it were, that sadly we haven't got, despite the wonderful Death Smiles Deluxe Edition that we did get, we didn't get Death Smiles 2... X mm. uh, Makai no Mer- Merry Christmas um, yeah. which is a version of Death Smiles 2 it's a shame um, as well because it's supposed to be a lot darker in tone uh, which I'm quite intrigued by and it's not region free that one and no I think it's de- it's downloadable only oh XBLA okay it also wasn't localised it's in Japanese I'm pretty sure it's was it the only game that uh, came over and was untranslated Oh, okay, is it? Yeah. It's out in America, but untranslated. Yeah. Oh, okay. But yeah, we we could handle that. You know, it it there, well, there are there are precedents for that sort of thing. Yeah, disappointing. Um, for the amount of money it would cost them to release it, compared to even though it's a very niche audience, it's a it must be a very loyal and faithful audience that would buy it. We we would all buy it, you know, in a heartbeat, wouldn't we? If it came out on XBLA next week, Death Smiles Two. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm for, not sure how whatever. much it could possibly cost. Just the, I mean. Obviously, we're kind of unfamiliar with the process, but to me, it seems like they just flip a switch available in this region. Depending on licensing and stuff, maybe it's yeah. maybe it's more dodgy. Maybe they're more. Maybe Microsoft didn't want. I don't know. I mean, if it's out in America, then yeah. I think I think, yeah, I think I what seems to be the case, and as I talked about in the iOS titles, is um, Cave very much look at getting publishers for each region, and it needs a publisher to get it onto XBLA, even just to get it on a downloadable service in this country and so if Rising Star aren't convinced that the outlay to get it onto XBLA is going to be met with a return then it's a business decision perhaps maybe I think Cave released Goangi themselves on XBLA uh, in this country Um, that can't have gone well for them given we know that Microsoft have licensing charges and patch charges and let's face it these games are games that may well need patching uh, it's still there um, £6.75 for Goangi yes Um, obviously with a uh, trial of course Yes, yeah, there, there is a trial. Although, as I say, I'm not with these games. I don't often think the trial mm. actually represents the game particularly well. Um, I'm I'm never sure about trials with games like this um, because mm. I think there's there's the temptation to just go, okay, yeah, I've shot some stuff. What I've was that, that all about? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you commit to play, if you commit to paying for it, you're more likely to commit to learning the mechanics and actually, yeah. you know, trying to get better at it. But I would recommend that people seek out uh you know the, the the boxed rising star games but i'll come back to that in my in my summary mm. um yes yeah, so one final aspect of the xbox 360 versions that is worth mentioning are the achievements um now the guangi obviously only has the 200 points worth because it's an old xbla game um some of those are tough some of those not so much but some of the achievements on the three rising star 
uh, boxed power games. Uh, looking at true achievements, where they, uh, if people aren't familiar, um, it uses a, uh, a an algorithm to work out the uh, the likelihood or the you know the ratio, the percentage chance, or not chance, but um, the worth of these achievement scores. So, um, a bog standard achievement that anyone can get is worth one, for instance. So, the top achievement on Akai Katana has a ratio of twenty one point three eight, which is earn 300 million points in origin mode um, and each of the games has has achievements of at least that sort of level of difficulty um, and we're talking about less than a percent of people getting those achievements generally yeah um, of those who get at least one achievement in the game only one percent would get those, those sort yeah. of high level yeah that's it so yeah. um, these games know their audience <laughs> I suppose <laughs> yeah the, yeah but even those, you know, those of us um, uh, like Simon, uh, James, and myself, you know, we've all admitted to not being particularly great at these. Darren's obviously said that even he looks up um, on the leaderboards with envious eyes. I imagine that getting the thousand points on these games, even for you, Darren, would be a stretch. Yeah, well, too much commitment for me. Yeah, yeah. The top achievement and t- on, t- and just to kind of follow up on that. I remember going for one of the achievements for a goddamn long time, and I was sure mm-hmm. that I was getting all the all the requirements for it. Only mm. to learn that it was on a different version of the game. <laughs> yes, you have to watch out for that. Yes, yeah. uh, different versions. Um, True achievements is very good for um, pointing out uh, that there are yeah separate uh, regional versions. Yeah. So the top. Um, I think you mentioned it earlier, Darren. Again, the top achievement on uh, Death Smile's EU version and I'm sure the others as well is uh, Bloody Jitterbug you have to defeat Bloody Jitterbug in Mega Black Label mode and the ratio for that is 28.16 so for a 25 gamer score achievement uh, True Achievements awards you 704 uh, True True Achievements points Um, and that's yeah. just the tip of the iceberg, you know. That, I mean, that's th- that's the hardest one, but there's a load of other stuff. There's a load of other stuff to do in each of these games. So. Yeah. They'll keep you busy anyway. And I mean, the thing is, it's um, not just that he's a tough boss. You get like the fact that he's tough is kind of almost irrelevant. It's just that getting to him is nearly impossible. Yeah. O- yeah. Often, yeah, unlocking these requires you playing in a certain mode at a certain level. In the case of Death Smiles, um, and performing beyond admirably um, in order to actually unlock the this the situation where you can even face the boss or play as that character or yeah see that extra level so yeah it's um, envious eyes uh, laid upon anyone who's managed to get a thousand achievement points in any of these these yeah. games I think safe yeah. to say proper commitment proper skill um, yeah yeah so uh, now the iOS versions um, I'm sure they have game center support for what that's worth um, I don't know if the achievements are m- roughly the same um, I think they can I think their game center is kind of more free and easy with the amount and the, the total worth of achievements but I'm sure they're all on there obviously the games are sort of rebalanced on iOS um, If yeah I, f- I do find myself wishing I had an iPad because um, I think yeah. these games would work superbly on there um, but as I say, for people who don't necessarily want to pick up box copies of um, these, you know, odd shoot 'em ups, then dabbling on iOS is certainly is certainly one way. Um, trying to think exactly what uh, what's on there. So you've got the two Bug pr- Princess games. Um, Esperluda Two is on there. 
Espeluda. Uh, mm. Although Esp- uh, certainly it used to be that there were uh, back in you know a few years ago when there were still regular resolution versions and HD versions. There mm. was also a regular and a I think black label for Escalada two. I think that's right. All right. Uh, possibly. So you're talking multiple versions. I think they've now consolidated. Now that iPhone resolutions upped, they've consolidated the versions under uh, the the HD versions. But I, okay. I, th- I think I'm not misspeaking in that. Uh, it, it can be tricky working out which version to pick up. Yes. Uh, yeah. For for the best, but. Um, I don't know, Sai si may have more information on that. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's still an HD version of one of them. It might be a yeah. Scaluda, but there are a couple of dead-on patches on there. There's Blissful Death, yeah. which is the second game in the series. Unless you count the uh on Patchy 2, which was farmed out to another developer. I think it was an arcade-only title, which is apparently, it's apparently it's dire. Um, oh. Uh, yeah, this is Blissful Death, which is the second game in the series. There's the Donpachi Resurrection, mm-hmm. which is the direct sequel to Blissful Death, although it comes a bit further in the the sequence. Mm-hmm. Then there's the Donpachi Maximum, which first came out on Windows Phone. That was the first one I played on a mobile device. And that's kind of like a greatest hits of the Donpachi, but it's presented as a simulator, so the graphics are all uh, minimal, so it looks like you're in a, uh, a simulation, a VR simulation. Nice. Um yeah, and then there's Death Smiles, which most people seem to hate on mobile. Which I, I don't yeah. actually, I don't actually mind because there's a smartphone mode which has some RPG elements, which is quite nice. Just to sort of going for a high okay. score, you can unlock all the um, umbrellas, which are your weapons, and clothes, <laughs> which give you um, uh, more more damage uh, protection, yeah. things like that. I quite like that, but a lot of people don't like it because it's a horizontal shooter. It doesn't really lend itself very well to the uh, right. format. Right. Yeah. I have heard a few um, sort of naysayers saying that you know the iOS, even uh, the Don Patchy games, as as great conversions as they are in terms of the way they look and and the way they run and the features, it's not the right way to play them. You know because of the touch controls and the rebalance difficulty and the auto fire and all that sort of thing. Um, but I think you know that you can have a lot of fun with them. And actually, if you do also, as I do, I own Resurrection on both iOS and 360. Um, you can kind of practice. For you know, just learn the patterns and, and yeah. learn the um, oh, definitely sequences and mechanics, which is quite that's handy. a deal. I mean, even though it's not the definitive yeah. version, just having it available for, as you'll see in practice, is a very good thing, regardless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look back, um, sort of ten years ago, um, there were very few cave titles, or if any, available in the West. Oh it, yeah, it was all. It yeah. was you had to import everything. Yes. I mean, because my introduction to the series was. Um, the Don Patchy on the PS1 uh, yeah. on import, uh, and I didn't see another cave title again for for ages. I think mm. I think the next one I played after that was um, an import of Blissful Death years later, which I found. Mm. Um, but yeah, you couldn't get them anywhere. So you can I, I, I moan about um, their deal with um, Microsoft, but even even then, I can still play many more cave titles than I w- was able to years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and the weird thing is, during the PS2 era, um, and PS1 to some extent, there were various companies um, sort of importing uh, Japanese shooters. They were getting very sort of limited, low-key releases, but things like Castle Shikigami 
by Alpha System um, would come out on PAL machines. Some of them are actually available to download on PSN now as well. Um, think about Strikers 1945 and various things by by a lot of the you know the the famous Japanese 2D shoot 'em up developers. You could get them. They were PAL versions. They were slow. They were bordered, but they were there. Whereas mm. Cave stuff was really it was about going when when CEX in London in Rathbone Place was still a, an amazing mecca an exciting place to go <laughs> it you know you would go in there and spend 50 quid on yeah on whichever version for PlayStation um and the, yeah then it just like you say it simply became a matter of having to um yeah go play Asia or Lixang or um, video games plus one of those um, which is you know can be an expensive business just typically um for some of these uh, imports that you have got Simon, um, how much have you paid and where have you gotten from? Uh, eBay and PlayAsia mainly. Um, mm-hmm. They vary in prices. I mean, I, I've got the the first two games, the Saturn versions, which are, are good yeah. conversions. That they were, mm. you know, thirty to forty pounds. Um, but you can pay, you know, Blissful Death now is super expensive. Um, and even like there's a DS game, uh, a DS version of Ketsui, which is a Boss Rush mm. uh, title, and that is going to cost you eighty quid to import. Wow! Um, it, so it's not cheap, mm. but it depends how much you you get out of these games. And yeah, I, I love them. I think they're just great slices of, uh, sort of Japanese video game culture. Yeah. Um, so for me, they're worth it. I think. Yeah. Mm. It's it's also worth saying that um, Simon, when I was I was chatting to you about how to get hold of Escalada Two, and you were saying you know it had to be the black label non limited edition version mm. um, from from Japan. Um, I checked on eBay, and for sub thirty pounds, including postage, you would have to wait a few weeks for them to send it over, uh, inevitably from Japan. But it, it's not. It depends on the game uh, as to how expensive it's going to be. You um, have to watch out. You have to watch out for reprints yeah, sure. as well. I mean, like Muchi right. Muchi Pork and Pink Sweets, which is um, was packaged together on one disc. Mm. Um, yeah. That had a limited release initially, and it mm-hmm. was it was only about twenty five to thirty pounds. But then it just disappeared, and it, it mm. was then suddenly it was you know seventy or eighty pounds to import. Yeah, of course. But then yeah. they re- mm. they re released it again, um, mm. uh, and it was it went down to thirty pounds. So you've got you just got to look out for when they when they get reprints. Luckily, yeah. I follow yeah. someone on Twitter who seems to know be in the know with <laughs> cave releases. So I just yeah. eagerly look out for his tweets. Yeah. Um, that that said, it is fantastic that Rising Star uh, in particular, and also the fact that so many of of the games have come to iOS and, and a couple of them to Android as well mean that it may not be the definitive version that you're getting on, on touch devices particularly but you can at least experience some of the the as you said Cy perfectly the slice of Japanese culture that these games are um, as far as the touch controls go they, they're not fantastically precise it does become difficult in frantic moments to ensure that you're sliding your thumb as far as needs go but I've been very happy with them as um, as as ports of, of these games I think they're they're very playable very enjoyable they may not be the best way to get high scores but on the leaderboards everyone is uh, hamstrung by the same control method so um, so yeah there is there is always that yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a massive fan of the uh, iOS versions. I just mm, think yeah. it, you know they're they're accessible. I mean, the touch controls can yeah, be fiddly yeah. at times, but it's it's intuitive. 
Um, and yeah, I think and they're often, l- often quite customizable as well, aren't they? D- definitely. I mean, I'm left-handed, so I'm, uh, it's great that I can switch the buttons over to the other side. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, like I was mentioning, that some of the prices for importing these games is quite high. If you buy them on iOS, they're, you know they're always going to be less than eight pounds. I think the most expensive I've seen is seven ninety nine. Yeah. Again, but you, this is another another subject for another time. It's you know how people value digital games on uh, the, yeah. on a, a mobile platform. Yeah. But I think they're really worth it to to, to just like, peek into a really fascinating you know uh, subgenre of an equally fascinating uh, genre. Is I think it's great. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I was just looking um, there, speaking of prices for the the PAL, the three boxed PAL games that you can buy over here, um, all by Rising Star, and you will not pay um, more than about fifteen pounds for any of them. Akai Katana, uh, and again, this is a game where you get uh, you only get the one disc with that particular game, but you get three variants of the game. A lot of people these days, I, I still see it. I see it on our forum, complaining about the lack of um, any sort of manual in in games anymore. In this this game, you get twenty yeah. full color pages of English text um, with screenshots and explanations, um, and uh, character bios yeah, and art yeah. and all this sort of thing. The Desmars one, which uh, will probably set you back about fifteen pounds, comes with three discs, as I say, including uh, a dodgy desktop. Um, <laughs> Um, well, a very nice soundtrack disc as well. Very cool yeah. soundtrack yeah, disc, yeah. yeah. Um, and and again, English, you know, English manual up to uh, to a level. And the Don Patchy one again, soundtrack disc. And frankly, uh, very um, nice box art in all cases. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah really wonderful uh, representations of the the end game art, although yeah. not directly lifted from the game. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, so, uh, just a trio of three-word reviews. So, if you'd care to take one each, Darren, James, and then Simon, you can do your own. <laughs> <laughs> Robotic Monkey says <laughs> pew pew pew. Uh, no stopping epoch says disco disco disco, uh, and particularly aimed at Dangun Feveron. Yeah, he's a real hardcore K fan, so it's uh, okay. well worth following on Twitter if you I like. I will do. Yeah, okay. right. uh, and then someone called the Sonic Mole says uh, they stick <laughs> to a plan. That's very good. W- which was good. Uh, yeah, that's very good. I don't actually know where the name is. is it I, I've always said Toa Plan. Yeah, I, I maybe, assume maybe it's not it, to a plan. Yeah, that's it. Just obviously looks like three yeah. English words stuck together, but I'm sure it's yeah. uh, it's not. But yeah. no idea, no idea. Um, so to summarise, obviously it's it's an odd one because we're talking about. I don't actually. I didn't count up how many games Cave have done, but uh, probably about thirty, twenty to thirty. Yeah, quite a lot. And and, and team multiple, yeah. Well, they've got a. Uh, they're in the Guinness Book of World Records for most games developed in a subgenre. Wonderful fact. <laughs> Wow, that's surprising. So, because you'd think, what about Nintendo and platformers? You'd think they would. Well, I, I saw they were saying it was like 40-something, so I think they're including all the variations of the games that came out uh, okay. in Japan. Even so, oh, it's right. still a pretty amazing fi- yeah. feat. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, like that's very cool. uh, MLB, uh, MBL, sorry. Um, for Death Smells, they were kind enough to put out 150 systems uh, out to arcades. No, it was like a right. massive release. Mm-hmm. They just kind of released uh, a small contingent so that yeah. the hardcore could get into it. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's an interest. I mean, there's you know, there's probably a, a fascinating uh, video documentary that could be made that you know um, that we could all go over to Japan with HD video cameras and and make that and interview yeah. them and stuff. And that would be absolutely wonderful and better a better job than we can do just by sitting around talking about them here. But I hope we've managed to get you know some of some of the fascination and the intrigue about these uh, over 
to listeners who weren't already converts but um yeah so to sum up um i would you know simply say try to say what what it is you enjoy about these games if there's anything you don't um we haven't really said anything <laughs> negative whatsoever <laughs> um and if there's any yeah sort of particular place you'd recommend people to start whether it's with the 360 games emulation ios or whatever let's start with darren foreman well, for me, I mean, if I was recommending a cave shoot 'em up, I would probably have to go the 360 simply because I don't have any experience with the, the mobile versions. And the thing is, I mean, Death Smiles, as you were saying, the the retail package gives you a lot of content, a lot of extras at a very cheap price. I would recommend getting your hands on that right off the bat. But the thing about this entire uh, genre that's interesting to me is just... It's hard to explain. It's just pure madness that you can control it's everything blown up around you everything's going completely crazy but usually there is just enough of a a space to get through and somehow succeed against crazy odds and the way that it comes across in a a 2D plane is the turf helot is very different to like a a first person shooter or an action game it's it's madness and I love the art styles I love the, the music the the, uh, the music in pretty much every cave game is tremendous and it's interesting because I'm not, sh- even on a casual level I think I would enjoy these, you know, if I wasn't go- going for score attacks, just because of mm. that sh- uh, sheer audiovisual playback I mean, I mm. never tried to ex- uh, like ex- excel at games like UN Squadron, which I loved um, and as the, the genre kind of transformed into bullet hell shooters mm. when I first went into that I was playing it at a very basic level and I was still enjoying it, you know whether I can recommend it to other people that would be wanting to check it out or perhaps are clueless about it, that's really difficult to judge, you know? Like, um, the difficulty tends to be just a sheer vertical wall for a lot of people that would be trying to play it. Um, I remember one of my friends was... Uh, I gave my friend a loan of um, Duda Apache Resurrection and basically he was just a, a continued dropper, you know, just try, mm. trying to brute force through it. So I think that a lot of people wouldn't get on with it. They might view it as a curiosity. They might even enjoy that curiosity, but they won't stick with it. But just the incredibly low barrier to entry, and as I was saying, certainly the amount of extras you get with uh, Death Smells, I would recommend you at least get one of them and just try teething it out, you know? Um, it's a genre that's got... There's nothing like it. Um, there's nothing else I get on the market, I'm pretty sure I can say that no problem. And just the... It's beautiful. I would definitely recommend checking it out. You might not get one with it, but give it a try. Thanks, Darren. James Carter. I think um, when we had the conversation on Twitter probably some four or five months ago now and decided that that this would be a show we'd like to do, my fascination with these, because I don't have the history with shooters um, as as the rest of you guys uh, do, my fascination stems from the fact that if you look back at the, the... the genesis of what we now think of as the shmup or the, the shoot 'em up, it is it is the history of gaming. It's right back to Space Invaders, and almost year on year since 1978, mm. um, there there's a, a notable title that came out, and and all through the 80s, every single notable game either defined or popularized something that became a. a 
a key trope or a key um, style that, or uh, mechanism or mechanic rather that would be added into into what we think of as shmups now. Um, and I think since the mid nineties, it does it looks like a genre that stagnated. But actually, when you get into some of these games, you start to realise the the real uh, yes ostensibly you're you're a character or a ship moving around the screen shooting bullets and dodging incoming projectiles but the depth that's in there and the the beauty that comes from the the aesthetic the art style the colors you know often these days color can be something that actually is lost from games and that's one th- big thing they have is is taking an art style making it beautiful and colorful and presenting it to you uh in this way that um that fits together, as Darren said, with the music really well, and and can put you in this almost zen-like moment where you're dodging bullets, taking in what's going on around you, uh, playing the game the way maybe it was intended to be played, maybe the only way you know how, um, and it really does. It, it it's a thrill to play these games, um, and the fact that there's all this history behind them only adds to that in in my mind at least. Um, as far as where to start, I think if you are a fan of games like Zevia Sikaruga, that kind of thing, then as far as Cave goes, any of the three games that, that we've talked about, Akai Katana, Death Smiles and Dodonpachi Resurrection, that are available on, in the, in Europe on Xbox 360, any of those are excellent. Um, they all have their own slight differences and and quirks to them. I think Dodonpachi Resurrection is a fantastic place to start. It has a lot of depth to it, um, but it also has one of the clearest novice modes to put yourself into if that's where you need to go. Um, and it has the leaderboards we've talked about as well and I I think it's got a fantastically deep and uh, interesting story behind it um, that it does a reasonably good job of catching you up on even if you haven't played the series beforehand Um, uh, if you're not a a big fan of, of shooters, don't have the history with them Pick up one. Most people have, a, you know, a phone that would be able to play one or other of these um, these games that are out on iOS and Android. Excluder uh, Two is available on both. Uh, I really enjoyed Mushihima-sama, uh, which is his Bug Princess, but I think Escluda Two just has so much going for it. That's where I'd suggest anyone who's been enthused or interested by what we've been saying and doesn't necessarily want to dive into a £15 Xbox 360 title grab Escalada 2 on on whichever phone or tablet you have uh, on Android, it doesn't necessarily always work depending upon the model you have it's designed for Mm. phones so just beware in in that case um, and hit one or other of us up on Twitter if you're not sure uh, it tends to be fairly well explained um, in, in the marketplace, but but yeah, gra- grab that one if if you like the sound of what we've said and and are interested in uh, getting into getting back into these type of shooters because the the touch devices are very easy ways to play the game uh, and get a feel for the overall impact that they have, which is is quite something. Thanks, James. Uh, for me, as I said at the start of the the, the, the issue, um, my history with this developer really goes back 30 years now, um, give or take. Um, and the fact that I can still get just as much pleasure from a few games of the these the relatively contemporary games as I can as I did 
back in you know in the arcades of of, of the mid eighties. I remember playing Tiger Heli, one of their earliest games, <clears throat> and I just thought it was so cool. Um, it was a lot slower paced than a lot of the vertical uh, scrollers around at the time, but it had this uh, this sense of heft and weight to it, and it had secrets, it had Easter eggs. Like there was this building that you had to hammer the shot button into to um, uh, to reveal uh, a secret bonus points, and it had things like if you took a hit on the outside of your helicopter. Um, you would drop one of your bombs um, <laughs> and it would save your life. You know, a feature that we still see now um, in, in Caves games. And this lineage for me, you know, it's just been nonstop. I've played shooters every year since the mid-80s um, and probably something by this developer, at least one of the same people or, or there's, you know, there's a carry-through um, of that lineage from, from pretty much my whole gaming history. And yeah, I get as much of a buzz, if not more, I mean, it was a different sort of buzz back in the mid-80s because obviously, you know, arcade games were still relatively new and everything, you know, any kind of anything with more colour and just, just the look of the beaches in Flying Shark and things like that, seeing all these tanks feeling like they were being controlled by AI. Of course, they were just running running their scripts and whatever, but it was so exciting. But the as I said earlier, the buzz I get from, even though I'm not hugely competent at these games and I get muddled up with what systems and controls I'm using and I forget which version I'm playing and um, sometimes I you know do the the wrong thing at the wrong moment the buzz I get when I rack up a massive multiplier on Death Smiles or or Dodon Patchy or or the thing in Akai Katana the Slash version specifically where you build up this energy meter and then you build up your you have to collect steel from one um one uh, with with one different kind of shooting and then you fire off all these swords these katanas that you've surrounded your ship with and they fly across the screen and they go through every bullet on the screen and then they slowly chip their way through whatever enemies are on the screen and then they throw out an entire you know if you're playing on a on a on a decent sized telly just uh, enormous these massively expanded fat sprites of gold deliciousness coming at you and it's just pure gaming pleasure um hugely satisfying you know the game gets harder and harder and you die more and more but i think it's um it is like some of the you know the games we talk we talked about in recent years that can be punishing like super meat boy like dark souls things like that um, where you have to embrace the death, see it as a learning experience, and, and just move on. Don't don't get frustrated. Don't just throw your lives away and just think, oh well, I'll have another continue. Actually, you'll get a lot. You get more out of these games the more you put in. Um, but having said that, as Darren said, you know we used to play games like you know the old the old horizontal scrollers from the past, whether it's Thunder Cross or UN Squadron or Thunder Force or Guy Naug or I could name hun- literally hundreds. Um, you, we used to just play them for pure progress, just to see how well we could do, how we could get to the end, you know, to see the final boss and kill it. You can play the, you can play these games like that, and it, it just shooting stuff, just having the power. The art is, you know, the the art looks fantastic. It's audio visually stimulating, stimulates the various parts of the brain in a lot of ways, um, and you can play it like that. You don't need to get into the to the nitty gritty of the mechanics, but if you do, there's a whole. There's a rabbit hole of interesting mechanics and addictive score chasing in there. Um, as I say, Cave aren't, aren't the only bullet hell developer in the world. The, the only the only people still making these games, but they probably are the masters. And let's finish with our guest, our new contributor, Simon. Yeah, uh, basically, uh, I'm going to reiterate what you guys have said. Um, it's the fact that it's, it's a one developer who is the absolute master of their trade. Um, they've refined 
the genre uh, with each title they've made. They've had a few missteps. Um, but overall, they're fascinating games to play. I think if you've got any interest in Japanese video game culture, and particularly the sort of furthest reaches of Japanese video game exotica, they're well worth investigating. Um, the enjoyment I get out of them is fathoming the scoring mechanics, which it, they can appear utterly opaque at first but once you get your head around them the addictive thing is trying new things out sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but it, it gets you it gets its hooks into you and to just to reiterate what darren said um it's the sensory overload um i, I didn't play that many arcade games when i was younger uh, so i i was obsessed with playing arcade ports because it was something that mm. was out of reach and I, you know I, one some of my favorite uh, early games were things like going out hellfire um, Truxton, all on the Mega Drive, um, yeah, uh, and this this is sort of the the logical conclusion of uh, of those games. Really, they've they've sort of taken the the old school format uh, and and stamped their own personality on it. Um, if I was going to recommend any, um, I'd probably say the mobile titles of probably the most accessible way to do it. They reduce the number of bullets on screen. The touch controls are mostly quite intuitive, um, and you know if it does click, I'd probably say it's worth importing Escaluda 2, um, which I think marries the brilliant mechanics of the Dom- the Donpachi series with the beautiful sprite work of Mishimi Samafatari, which is a second by Princess game, mm. um, perfectly well worth importing, um, and then really you, you you can just keep picking any of the titles really I think it depends on you know what sort of art style you like um, and what scoring mechanics click um, there is a sort of a general theme with the mechanics that run through all of them but it's the way that Cave know how to add different nuances and how that opens up different ways to play the game um, it, it is absolutely amazing I mean you look at games like uh, Ketsui which just really does ramp up the get the player to play aggressively which is absolutely brilliant and it's it's hard as nails as well um yeah i I think really you it it depends on what type of uh scoring mechanics you like and the graphical style you like but i would definitely say have a look at the mobile games because they're fairly cheap and they're easier to play than the the uh, console ports Mm. 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 wonderful stuff um really just remains for me leon cox to thank darren foreman james carter and uh, what a wonderful debut from our newest contributor, Simon Cole. Uh, do you have... I know you don't have a podcast. Um, anything you want to plug? Twitter? Something like that? <laughs> Blog? <laughs> <laughs> no, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at the Sonic Mole. Um, I tend to just go off on one about video games generally. Like they're the most important thing in the world. <laughs> I think our, so listeners, all of us. <laughs> our listeners may empathise with that, um, and we'll certainly have you back on again. Um, I don't know what other what other expertise you have, but we'll find out and, uh, and make sure to have a return of the Sonic Mole. Oh, thanks. So thanks very much for coming. No, on. thank you. Next time in issue 113, uh, it's uh, the second of our core Mario series. Uh, that's core with an E but also core with an exclamation mark because it's Super Mario World and its sequel Super Mario World to Yoshi's Island and it will feature another special guest who is Sean Bell of Midnight Resistance so until then we'll leave you with some KV music 